committed to sharing cultural diversity through food. Welcome to El Paso Food Voices. El Paso Food Voices explores El Paso, Texas's food landscape by gathering food-based stories from our residents. This project offers a taste of living history that speaks of ethnic and racial cross-cultural connections. If we are what we eat, we are committed to highlight the food-based culture and history of this city. Welcome, I'm your host, Cady Sines, for today's episode. In this spirit, let's begin our conversation on commensality, the act of eating together, with our guest, Yadik Anishevsky. Hi, um, I'm Yadik Anishevsky. I'm a uh, Polemix, as I call myself. Uh, I'm Polish, but uh, kind of like the Mexican part of being American here. Uh, and I uh, like to cook. Uh, and I like to cook for many reasons. Uh, one is that I like to eat. And the other one is sort of more professional. Being an endocrinologist, uh, I have to deal with uh, diet and diabetes and uh, um, obesity. So I'm quite interested how food choices affect those uh, uh, things uh, happening in our society. Well, Yadik, thank you for joining me today. Well, it's my pleasure. So uh, you did tell us a little bit about yourself, um, but just to go further into that, uh, what's been your journey in developing that love for eating and cooking and in calling El Paso home? Well, that's a very long story. I don't know if we can fit it in the whole. Maybe hour. in a nutshell. Maybe in a nutshell. So, well, uh, the reason I'm interested in food may be, well, because my parents cooked. So I always, I was the only child. So that was probably the most interesting thing to do. Just, uh, um, follow and, uh, watch and, um, since I like to eat, and I was always a chubby kid. So I was all kind of interested, uh, why, you know, when I got to be a, teenagers who try to answer what drives it. And well, I found the answer quite uh, easily, uh, so that uh, that helped me along. But uh, um, yeah, love for cooking stayed, uh, despite even uh, working in a restaurant, which, you know, I hated. Uh, and um, that's why I don't eat out much, because... The, food, the things that happen in restaurants. I don't know if I should tell you. <laughs> well, what was it about working in the restaurant? Well, I worked in a restaurant in London illegally, by the way. Don't tell anybody. I won't. Uh, and um, so it was a group of uh, rather uh, crazy Portuguese that worked uh, uh, there too. And I'll never forget the scene when they were putting away food in big bowls uh, covered with saran wrap, as they call it, cling film in England. And uh, one guy pushed it in, and then another bowl comes out on the other end, uh, spl splashes all over the floor, and he gets a dust pan and sweeps it into the, and puts it in the bowl, mixes it with the hand, and says, English is coming to the merda. Which means? Well, the English will eat all that dot, 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 dot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a much different scene than what we would see at your house when you host people. No, the dog eats what falls on the yes. floor. <laughs> so, Yadik, I also wanted to ask, uh, what was your journey in coming to El Paso? How did you end up here? Well, I started uh, quite a bit uh, up north because uh, I came uh, to do my residency uh, in Fargo, North Dakota. And I did my fellowship in Rochester, in Minnesota, where I met Nancy. 
And then, um, so we met there. We lived uh, up north for a while. And uh, one uh, nasty winter, after a few ice storms, Nancy says, wow, let's go somewhere warm. I've had enough of this. Uh, so we found a job in El Paso, and uh, it's been uh, 12 years. No, 14 years. So it feels like home now. Well, it is, yeah. And so when did hosting people start for you as kind of a common thing? Well, that, that was always kind of our idea when we moved to El Paso. We um, have some somewhat large extended families, both uh, me and Nancy. So we wanted to have people come over and stay with us. So uh, that kind of never panned out much until maybe recently, but uh, we always wanted to organize like a party for the Polish community and we've been successful with that. So we have this small uh, uh, Polish um, American society uh, here and uh, usually one of the yearly parties, three or four, is at our house, which is a, a really great thing to have. Yeah. You're bringing people together from your own culture that live in El Paso. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, and, you know, there's, you know, mixed marriages and there's, you know, friends of friends, you know, that it's like a Mexican party. By the end of the party, you don't even know who is in your house. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's wonderful, though. And I mean, I think the fact that, I mean, you just said you love to eat. But one of the things you said to me when we first spoke was you love to eat and you love to talk. And so I think that's just a perfect encapsulation of the generosity that you guys demonstrate when you invite people over. Um, and I do want to point out that you usually don't ask people to bring anything. And you usually have two days a week where you just cook for other people. And it's kind of an open invitation, right? Yeah, that's more or less. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like to get an RSVP if there's more people coming sure. because that's kind of helps with planning. But, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that started maybe about two years, two and a half years ago when we sort of adopted a friend from church after his wife died, he mm. was kind of failing. So he started living with us and then his friend started coming and another friend. So they say, well, we have a couple guys here already. Let's invite a few more people. So that's how things started rolling. Yeah. So essentially the people who sit at your table, some of those guests along the way have really been adopted into your family. Very much so. Yeah. So what kind of lessons have you learned along the way of hosting people? Because that's a lot to coordinate and it does require a lot of work. That's, you know, if you love what you do, it's not exactly work. Mm -hmm. uh, so th that's part of it, probably. So, uh, and you know, you acquire skills, sort of planning, and uh, you know, for certain ga gatherings, I'll plan something a little easier, so so it's easier to throw together, and it still is fun uh, to be together. And um, you know, it's kind of a primordial thing, you know, sit down and eat and talk. So we hear all the stories from, uh, you know, grandpa and his Korean War experiences and, and um, some other interesting stuff from the history. I like history. That's another thing that's uh, my passion. So it's great to listen to people who saw it. Yeah. And um, what kind of connections do you find coming from that table? Because I'm thinking, 
you know, with bringing people together, you're feeding them, but you're also uh, doing the art of hospitality. And so I'm thinking of, you know, hospitality for a long time has helped bring people together, whether it's through faith or different religions or even travelers have to rely on the hospitality of other people. Um, so I guess what's your definition of hospitality? Well, I mean, we're, maybe it's sort of uh, cultural or we say in Polish, meaning the, when the guest comes into the house, the God follows. Hmm. Okay. Walk me through that a little bit. Well, that's like a blessing, you know, that's, yeah. you know, having guests is like being blessed. What about any more uh, Polish hospitality customs? Well, the, the kind of a, for more um, kind of uh, distinguished guests or uh, when they have a little bit more of a formal thing that historically was you would get, you would greet the guests like that with a freshly baked bread and uh, and salt. So that was the kind of traditional greeting. Well, I feel honored because last time I was at your house, you gave me a huge chunk of fresh bread that was like the size of my head and I'm still eating it and enjoying it. So thank you. But well, that I was mean, Nancy. Nancy oh, made that bread. So. Well, then maybe it wasn't a sign of honor. No, it was. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, I can't take all the credit. Uh, well, it was very good. I, I couldn't do it without uh, her. Well, that kind of brings me to my next question then in terms of um, cooking in your household is a very collaborative act. Um, I know that cooking for a lot of people is an act of care, but I think sometimes it's also associated with women as the primary cooks in the kitchen. Um, but just as I said, I mean, you've kind of defied that a little bit and something your wife said one time also comes to mind and that she said something along the lines of, you know, you're really best friends with your spouse when you can cook together. So, I mean, what are, what do you think about that? What are the dynamics in your house because you have a family that cooks together? Well, I don't know if it's just um, nature or nurture. Uh, that's going to be very difficult to uh, tease apart. Uh, well, when uh, we met on oh, Nencio's cooking, I think she invited me for some kind of a party from uh, uh, church, uh, the kind of a gathering, people from church. So so she liked doing that uh, even before uh, we were together. So uh, maybe just it's not that the opposites attract, it's the similarities attract. So that's why we do it. And how about, how is it affecting your girls as they cook with you? Well, if it's, you know, genetics, well, then they don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> so they always like to cook. And I remember that when they were like barely three, they were starting to fry bacon and eggs and uh, they had a step stool by the stove and they were, you know, breaking eggs. And uh, I was kind of guiding their hands, but... Um, uh, that's how they started. So yeah. it's a kind of a natural thing to do for them. Uh, uh, and then uh, now they help me or uh, I call them the sous chefs because I tell them why well, you cut this, you do that. And they they do that. And uh, sometimes they cook. So I am the sous chef. But they, after the initial uh, kind of desire to be the the main chef, they say, yeah, now you, you do it. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you find that when you're cooking with them and that has that opened doors for conversations between you guys, kind of like a bonding experience? No, of course it is. Uh, although, you know, we try to usually do the work. So it's uh, pretty organized to the point, chop, 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 do it, cook it, get out and eat. And then we talk. Do they like hosting people too? Like, are they kind of in the mix of that when you have people over? Sometimes it's for their friends, so, you know, the, they helped me. Uh, we had some parties with uh, their friends, so we made pizza, and they helped me to to put it together. So, yeah, that, yeah, they know how to do it. That's great. And what about when you were growing up? I mean, what were the family, what were the, what were the kitchen dynamics in your family, well, men, the, women? You know, the, I grew up in communism, so it was, you know, I was the only child, so there wasn't too much of a crowd, and... You know, the living conditions were rather cramped. Uh, so, yeah, we our apartment was somewhere under 400 square feet. So the kitchen was uh, kind of two people. It was a crowd, but, you know, kind of managed. But um, you know, always I remember that the main gatherings were kind of family gatherings. It was a name day celebration. It was kind of tight and... But it was nice to to cook for it and uh, and have all the family from town to come and visit. And did you see uh, your mother mostly in the kitchen, or was it your father too? Oh, they both cooked. Mm -hmm. And it seems like uh, one of the patients, a German lady, said that uh, she said I had to marry a Polish man because they cook. Oh, <laughs> interesting. So did you you grew up with that idea of? Cooking was for men too. It well, didn't yeah, matter. The, yeah, we had uh, some uh, uh, be children and grandchildren. My first cousins uh, came uh, uh, two years ago, and they stayed for four weeks with us. And they, their children, uh, so that the youngest generation, there was a couple boys, and they were in the kitchen. They were making pancakes and crepes and uh, uh, creme brulee, and that was. Uh, they're very exciting for them. So I don't know. Maybe it's cultural or genetic or who knows. So then growing up for you is you kind of had, you know, this love for eating and cooking. Well, there was not that much to eat in communism. Wow. <laughs> so you kind of scrambled for whatever was available. You know, I go to a store now in America and you're looking at chicken, 39 cents a pound. So, you, you know, I look at for a hour of minimal wage work, it can buy 20 pounds of chicken. I remember one summer standing in line for uh, the um, ration chickens who had some ration left uh, uh, in this hot summer day, and then they are packing this chicken, they were wrapping it up like densely with two papers. And I was wondering why, but you know. No, no. So he took the chicken home, and it was so stinky, mm. spoiled everything. So no more chicken that month. Uh, so you know, if you think about the uh, opulence of our life now, you know, people uh, wonder. You know, ah, oh, they think the current condition is just the way it should be. Well, uh, poverty is the default state. Uh, um, affluence like we experience is a very rare occurrence in human history. Yeah. And and growing up with that, I mean, how does that affect you now as you do host people and feed them and you're very generous? Well, I don't like throwing 
food away. So when you know when it comes to okay, I have a lot of leftovers, well, that's time for a frittata or or something that uh, all that leftovers can go in and uh, nicely blend into new taste that it cannot be ever repeated. Mm, you're very resourceful. <laughs> Yeah. And also, I mean, growing up with that kind of, you know, the, the lack of quality of food or whatever it may be. I mean, it seems now you have a, a, an appreciation for food, but also that connection with it, that you understand something had to be sacrificed in order for you to be eating whatever's on your plate. Well, I think so. I mean, that, um, you know, I and comparing to, you know, my parents' generations who went through World War II and, um, and post-war time when, you know, the food was uh, even less available during that time than when I was a child, even, you know, with communism um, situation, uh, then, uh, you know, they were even more uh, restrained in their food choices. So, yeah. Do you find yourself cooking a lot of Polish food nowadays? Well, I cook, uh, you know, Polish food is a, a lot of carbohydrates, uh, you know, potatoes, grains, uh, uh, bread. Um, I like it, but, you know, unfortunately, one of the things that I kind of uh, am aware of that this is not exactly uh, the weight loss diet <laughs> True, but it's good. Well, it is good. So occasionally, yes, you know, so sometimes we make like a very, you know, traditional Polish. Uh, my daughters say their favorite f soup is the white borscht, you know, so nobody ever heard about white borscht. Uh, uh, but um, so it's, um, you make a um, sourdough star starter and then boil some broth and then uh, thicken the broth with cream and the sourdough starter and then put some meat uh, meats into it you know spice it usually with some uh, uh, juniper berries and uh, marjoram and then serve it as with um, potatoes on the side or something like that so that's kind of a very traditional poor people's food uh, but it's very good yeah. And I mean, in El Paso, at least in my opinion, uh, there's not a lot of Polish cuisine around. So when you do invite people, what are their reactions uh, when and if you feed them Polish food? Well, you know, the the Polish food I make. So, you know, that, they like that. Like that, the white borscht is fairly popular, but, you know, like my favorite, one of my favorite Polish dishes is like uh, tripe Polish style. So. That's different kind of menudo. So nobody eats that. So that <laughs> <laughs> that's only for selected uh, friends that uh, they like it. Uh, the, there is no the kind of middle of the road for menudo, probably even in, in the Mexican uh, uh, culture. It's either I love it or I hate it. True. But you do make a lot of other food from different cultures, so... Well, that's, that's I love it, yeah. That's experimentation uh, with uh, different techniques, different um, uh, foods, different spices. I'll eat anything, at least once. So what are some of those other foods that you're making? Well, like, uh, you know, I've been making the al pastor or you know, try to you know, make it the gyro style, the more Greek spices, uh, even... I mean, recently he baked some pita bread and tried to, you know, dress it up with tzatziki and um, more like Greek uh, 
style uh, kebab type of a deal. So I I like you know, stir frying. I think wok is one of the most uh, undervalued and most universal cooking utensils. Uh, it's a fantastic thing. You can do so many things in it. Uh, but, you know, stir-frying is very fast uh, for a quick dinner. That's, uh, wok is an excellent um, device to use. And you make your own sauerkraut, too, yeah, which well, is that's, interesting. Yeah, that's definitely Polish. Yes. So when you feed people, you know, sauerkraut or different Polish things, do you find that it's kind of a way for you to educate them well, on yeah, your cultural that's identity? Definitely. And, yeah, the sauerkraut salad is very popular. So that's that's another one. Yeah, that's yeah, the, awesome. the sauerkraut you, you buy in a jar that just doesn't doesn't cut it. Thank you for joining us today at El Paso Food Voices. If you're interested in practicing commensality, consider visiting the Raindrop Turkish House. The Raindrop Foundation aims to cultivate friendship and promote understanding of diverse cultures through its unique services to the community, one of which is Turkish cooking classes. For $15, participants can cook and eat a Turkish dinner with other members of the community. Classes usually take place on Saturdays from 3 to 6 p.m. at 1030 North Zaragoza Road. To find out about upcoming dinners and learn more about the Raindrop Turkish House in El Paso, visit their Facebook, Raindrop El Paso. Let's get back with our guest, Yadik Anishevsky. Um, we talked about gender in the kitchen a little bit, but um, commensality, the act of eating together, it does bring people from different cultural identities together. And um, I mean, research has shown like in humanities or social sciences that when people eat together, it creates a sense of belonging, a sense of collective identity. And more and more, as I'm reading about commensality, I'm finding that it's not just about what you eat, but it's about who you eat with. So let's talk a minute about who you're eating with. I mean, what types of relationships have emerged from your table or who might we expect to find sitting at your table? Well, I try to, you know, invite people who like seem like um, they are good conversationalists uh, that we can talk uh, all the forbidden subjects, like my favorite, politics and religion, and still stay civil uh, and enjoy the meal. And that's that's what the uh, maybe the it moderates the, the the cuisine moderates the uh, the discussion. Yeah, and I mean, you have people from church, right? You have yes, people from, from, work. from work, from where else? Where do you meet these people that you well, invite to your table? Pretty much, you know, uh, and friends of friends. So the Polish society, people who just, you know, I don't know how I met them. Probably some of the parties uh, or something like that. Do you find that your guests or El Paso culture and culture in general has shifted the way that you host or what you decide to cook? Well, of course, you know, the, there's all this more of the Mexican flavors. I, I fell in love with chipotle. I think that's like kind of a unique flavor of Mexican cooking. Uh, um, I'm not sure I like uh, uh, fried beans that much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's uh, definitely um, as a a big place in in my cooking, and we like it spicy. So one time, Nancy cooked um, uh, tortilla soup, and it was so spicy that even the Mexican hired guy couldn't 
couldn't eat it. It was too spicy for him, but oh, she wow. ate it all. That's saying something. And what about your hosting style? Has that changed with the El Paso culture? Well, I probably, you know, Polish dinner usually is kind of a very timed uh, affair. So you have the first is the soup. And so you have to have the right right temperature, the right time. So it has to start on time. So uh, kind of a loose uh, arrivals at different times uh, is not exactly the most conducive to that. So same, you know, second is frequently potatoes, fried potatoes, uh, mashed potatoes with some meat or so. So that's also you know, going to get cold and it doesn't taste very good. So you have to have it, you know, time, everybody is ready and then you go and eat. Uh, so if people come at different times, you know, instead of hora gringa, they go hora mexicana. <laughs> it's better to have something like tacos or al pastor, where it's, okay, you want a couple more? So I'll just shave it off and uh, here you go. So, and if one, somebody wants a second, uh, well, here we go again. Well, take me a little bit through your mindset when you host people, because I have noticed that for example, the first time you so graciously invited me to your place, um, you were making paella, but you also had another one still cooking outside, and it was an experiment. You were using brown rice this time, and you so effortlessly just went from talking with me to excusing yourself to go check on what was cooking and just back and forth, but in a way that seemed so casual and everyone was just very relaxed. So what's your mindset about hosting people and what do you hope to communicate to them when they come over? Well, I just pretended well. (laughs) No, you did it very well. No, I, you know, why should I stress out? I mean, you know, we have enough food. If the experiment goes bad, well, that was an experiment. It's going to be termed, as we call some experiments or new recipes that don't fall along our preferences, non-repeaters. Have you ever had an experiment go very badly when you've been hosting people? Not really. I usually don't do like a full experiment. Uh, I, I experiment on myself and then feed it to other people. I'm not that cruel. What about any challenges you've had to face with hosting people? Dietary restrictions, anything uh, like that? I am not very tolerant of that. So I cook what I cook. If you like it, you eat it. If you don't, you bring your own food. That sounds good because usually what you cook is great. So, well, always what you cook is great. So, well, I think you are very gracious in your assessment, but thank you. But I mean, I can't help but notice everyone at your table are all, they're always saying, Oh, this is so good. How did you make this? So, I mean, for the most part, when people come over, they're just ready for you to feed them. Maybe I invite only good eaters. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good point. I mean, does that go into your assessment of hmm, who should come to my table? I think I'm afraid that I have to say that yes. So if somebody is very picky, um, that just doesn't convey the the best vibes around the table. So I say, no, nah, maybe next time, no. Yeah, I mean, has that happened before where you've invited someone and had to deal with that? Not really. I think I have been very lucky. Yeah, that's good. Is there anything else you would like to share on eating in general? Well, you know, I don't know. What would you like me to say? You know, my professional attitude uh, uh, to to food. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Well, the, you know, uh, since you know, obviously I have to 
uh, I had to figure out why was the chubbiest thing, uh, chubbiest kid uh, around the block uh, when I was growing up. And, you know, I figured it out. Uh, the answer was actually uh, very simple. I give the answer to myself. It's, it was the sugar, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so when you cook now, I mean, you're feeding a lot of other people and you're feeding them great food. But how do you think about the nutrition involved in that? Well, yeah, that's what I said. Uh, I don't cook as much of the Polish traditional uh, things, you know, uh, as far as the diet, okay? I always remember the ladies, you know, back even in Poland when they were trying to lose weight. Well, what did they do? Well, they stopped using sugar. Then then they maybe cut back on potatoes and bread. Well, and they always lost weight. So, so clearly those ingredients, uh, especially... If overindulged in uh, uh, strong contributing factors to uh, to diabetes, so yeah, especially uh, sugary drink, uh, um, you know, sodas, juices. You know, I don't serve any. I don't have any. So if you want mm. a soda in my house, you have to bring it. Yeah. And your guests, I mean, are they, are you finding that you're educating them not only on culture and, and different cultures, but on nutrition or how to cook something? Are they asking you questions uh, about how to cook? Some people do, some people don't. So yeah, I always, you know, I, I'm always eager to talk about food uh, and uh, uh, nutrition. So, so yes, uh, uh, we had that discussion here and there. Mm -hmm. So you're able to teach people when they come over, I mean... They see you make things because sometimes you're in the kitchen whipping up, I don't know, cream brulee or something, and well, you're able to talk them through it. Yes. Well, I, I taught a few people how to make it. That's quite easy, but that's probably not the most healthy from that that's true. That's diabetologist the <laughs> standpoint. <laughs> but if you have just a little bit, uh, a small portion, that's probably still not that bad uh, after all. But um uh, but now, you know, I'd rather talk politics at the table, but that's uh, that's my preference. Well, let's go back a little bit into kind of hospitality and what you want to communicate. I mean, you invite people to your table and you really are giving them the need that they have to communicate, to have human connection. Um, but also, I mean, what does hosting others do for you? I mean, where does that come from? Because you don't have to invite people over every week. No, um, but, but um, it kind of became a habit uh, to a degree. And, you know, I enjoy it. If I didn't, I wouldn't do it. You know, if you like something that you do, well, it's not a chore. It's a pleasure. What's the pleasure in hosting people? Is it just connecting to connecting your friends? Connecting and conversation and and then preparing the food and thinking about it, organizing it. I think there is some satisfaction from, you know, pulling it uh, off and uh, putting a reasonable meal together. How far ahead do you prep your your uh, menus? Mm, uh, kind of maybe a couple days at most. And you just use whatever's in the fridge? That's right. Or the freezer and say, well, let's get rid of this. Uh, so look through the freezer. Yeah, that needs to go. Let's do something with that. What are your favorite things to cook? Mm. Well, my favorite is uh, usually new stuff. But, uh, I mean, as I said, I don't experiment that often on guests. So 
because you never know how it's going to come out and how much time it's going to take. But um, yeah, yeah, when we drive places, Nancy usually drives and I, I read cookbooks. Yeah, tell me about that. Why, why do you read cookbooks for fun? What's, what do you um, get out of that? Well, I just uh, look for a recipe, the next experiment. Uh, What's your most recent experiment? What did I do uh, recently? So, uh, let me think. Uh, well, yeah, I was baking these um, uh, Polish-style um, uh, bun. use buns so you use different f- fillings. Uh, so one I made with a sauerkraut stew that I called suiki. That's kind of very traditional. Uh, actually, there's some uh, records of uh, similar stuff being baked uh, near my hometown uh, in, since 16 or so 1500s. Uh, so that's very traditional. And then, you know, the similar but uh, kind of sweet version uh, filled with um, uh, hackleberries. Well, hackleberries are rather unavailable here, but I found that um, the um, uh, organic uh, mm, Canadian blueberries actually taste very similar. So those were a very good replacement. So I made those. So that, Interesting. That was, I finally got the recipe right because I, I never knew how to make them very well. Yeah, yeast dough is, is very finicky. You know, you have to get the, the temperature right. And in El Paso, you can get it kind of, get the, it can get too hot. It can get uh, sometimes in winter, it gets a little too too much draft, uh, so it gets um, slowed down. So it's, it's hard to uh, bake it uh, and time it right. But I think I, I got it. So now that you've mastered cooking in El Paso weather, is that going to show up on your table anytime soon, that dessert? Oh, no, I, I made it uh, just um, recently. But uh, you know, uh, I usually, you know, bake, if I bake, is on the weekends because... You know, you have to watch the dough rising, and then it gets to a certain um, stage, and you have to bake it. If you wait too long, it's gonna uh, fall down, and that's done. You can't redo it. Well, taking in mind all of the wonderful things you cook, I mean, you cook a very diverse uh, menu, and just the idea of your gatherings in general. I mean, inviting people over twice a week, as simple as it sounds, is to me at least, not something that many people do. So, I mean, have you gotten feedback from your guests on how that's been important for them or valuable for them? They say thank you, but maybe they're polite, you know, you never know. What are you hoping to communicate when you invite people over? Well, it's just, um, I really don't have any ulterior motives. I like people I like cooking I like having them around and it's I think it's a kind of a primordial uh, experience uh, of our very 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 remote ancestors sitting by the fire and eating and sharing food uh, and the bounty that hopefully they had that night and and telling stories you know there is uh, um, nothing more cross generational and cross cultural than that that's very true. Do you see yourself continuing this for, for a while? Well, as long as I don't, I don't chop off more fingers <laughs> or, and um, I'm still um, pretty fast with a knife, I, I think I will be continuing on that. 
That's great. Well, I do have one last question for you, or that's actually two combined. Uh, the first is what's on the menu for tonight? Uh, tonight, you know, because of the uh, talk today, um, uh, our meeting here, well, I guess just went uh, easy. So we, I put a um, uh, pork uh, shoulder uh, for the night uh, with um, some salsa, uh, chipotle salsa, um, kind of concocted myself. Uh, uh, so it baked and Nancy pulled it apart and we'll make some salad and panini and uh, she had some frozen cookies uh, from another bake. So that's going to be it. Nothing fancy. Well, it sounds delicious. And I mean, what does someone have to do to get invited to your table? Well, just uh, don't be too picky as far as eating and uh, have something interesting to say uh, for conversation participation. Well, those sound like some great qualifications to me. Um, well, thank you're you. You're always welcome. Yeah, uh, I, I might plan to be there tonight. I mean, what time should I show up? Well, um, 6, 6.30 or I'm Mexicana. Oh, yeah, be late like I always am. <laughs> well, Stay I'll true just, with the El Paso I'll culture. Ju- I'll just throw another panini in you in the in the machine for you. Well, that sounds great. Um, thank you for being here today and, and talking to me. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Well, we want to thank our guest, Yadik Anishevsky, for sharing his knowledge on commensality, a fascinating El Paso food-based topic. El Paso Food Voices was created by Meredith E. Abarca, professor of food studies and literature at the University of Texas at El Paso. Produced by Adrian Mesa from UTEP's Creative Studios. Music composed by Jake Jacobs. To learn more about how food practices, memories, and stories shape a city's history, culture, and its character, please visit us at El Paso Food Voices. Thank you.